Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. And you have no doubt you just got up off the mat and walked away. Well, when you see something happen in front of your eyes, but the thing is, the thing you need to understand is there always was doubt. That's the effect he seems to have on everyone. Some people doubt straight away, some take a while. So what caused you to doubt? Jesus seems to get everybody's back up at some point. There's always the obvious targets like the corrupt priests, the Romans and so on. And everyone loved it when he called out the chief priests for not practicing what they preached and for oppressing everyone with their rules and regulations. He's, he's played to a home crowd when he's on about that, but but then he says stuff like it's what comes out of us that makes us unclean, like jealousies and rage and anger and lust and all those things. And that doesn't let anyone off the hook, especially me. So one minute you're laughing at the authorities and the next you're told you're not really any better. Then, just in case there's anyone he hasn't upset, he tells you to love your enemies. What's he thinking? OK, uh, so you mentioned his family. Yeah. And even some of his family thought he was crazy and needed to be kept away from everyone. And his cousin, who spent all that time banging on about how great Jesus was going to be, even he had this nagging feeling it might not be true. All right, so let's keep going over your statement. Uh, we're up to um, Saturday. Where were you on the Saturday? We were at Bethany. We got there just after sunset. And where did you stay? With Lazarus. We knew them. We'd been there before, I say Lazarus, but when we got there, it was just Mary and Martha, his sisters. Yes, you said that. Uh, Lazarus was dead, but Jesus resurrected him. I can see that's going to be a problem for a lot of people. I mean, death and taxes, eh? When you die, you're dead. That's problem enough. You're devastated and, and you have to grieve and everything. But, but life goes on. <laughs> yeah, especially for Lazarus. Now, it seems that coming back to life is a problem for the Sadducees, and their whole thing is that there is no coming back to life. But we have comfort in this life. Well, maybe you do if you're rich. But here's Lazarus, who comes back to life and proves them wrong. You can't have living proof that your theology is wrong, can you? You, you can't have someone going around and just by standing there saying that the religious leaders have been lying to us all this time. They wanted to kill Lazarus again, you know. Sounds like a conspiracy theory. Lots of us thought Jesus was on a mission to save us from the Romans, but it seems like it was a much bigger empire that he wanted to overthrow. OK, so on to Sunday, you said Jesus rode into the city on a donkey and everyone went mad for him? He was being clever in lots of ways. He'd arranged for a young donkey to be left for him because it was well known by everyone that the coming Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's in the scriptures. And there was often talk of the Messiah. Well, we've had a few over the years, but all of them came to nothing. It was comical, really. It was like a young donkey and Jesus' feet were almost dragging on the floor. And we came in by the dung gate at the bottom of the city. You don't want to know why it's called the dung gate. Yeah, I can guess. So we ran ahead. And we were making loads of noise and waving palm leaves and throwing our cloaks down. And soon, loads of people joined us. We were shouting, Hosanna, son of David. That was another heads up to everyone that this could be the Messiah. So everyone was well up for that. 
but he chose a really clever time to do it. There was another procession that day. Pontius Pilate comes into the city whenever there's a big festival so that he can hand over the ceremonial vestments to the priests. Now, they belong to the priests, but Pilate hands them over just to make sure everyone knows exactly who's in charge. You know, by all means, you can worship your God, but only because we give you permission and we could take it away at any time. So Pilate comes in at the top of the city with his shiny soldiers and bright colours and show of strength. And Jesus comes in on a donkey, several sizes too small, cheered on by all the poor people who live near the dung gate. It wasn't a coincidence. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And what happened then? I don't know. I suppose I was expecting a big speech, getting the crowd behind him, create a populist movement and drive out the Romans or something. But... But then after all that fuss, it just kind of stopped. We got to the temple. Jesus had a look around and said it was getting a bit late, so we should go. Didn't seem like he knew what he was doing after all. He looked around. We looked around. Everything seemed to be about cleanliness. To get into the temple, you've got to wash, wash this or wear that or sacrifice the other. And the further in you want to go, the cleaner you have to be. And the cleaner you have to be, the richer you need to be. You just can't get close to God if you're poor. The rich people control how close we can get. Anyone can scrub up well enough, but purity is a luxury. I remember this story about the guy who gets robbed and left at the side of the road. Two people from the temple walked past and they dared touch him because they'd become unclean. They cared more about being clean than about helping someone. I don't know what was going on in Jesus' mind, but that's what was going on in mine. Okay. Uh, so then you went back to Bethany and uh, back to the temple the next day. And not so much just looking around on Monday, was there? <laughs> not so much. Oh, oh uh, I forgot to tell you about the fig tree. Fig tree? We left Bethany and on our way to the city, we passed by a fig tree and Jesus cursed it. Why? For not having any fruit. But none of them have at this time of year. I know, and you know that. And so I presume did Jesus seemed a bit harsh to me, even a bit out of character. I guessed he was getting stressed. But then we went up to the temple and he carried on acting a bit out of character. Violent even. Well, yeah, really. But it was more like he had planned it than it was a loss of control. Maybe that's what he was thinking about the night before. Seeing all the people getting cheated, like money changers selling the temple coins at a profit, things to sacrifice bought cheaply by the temple. I mean, they can control the prices because they're the main buyers. And then sold at extortionate prices to the pilgrims. It's all right if you're rich, but the poor haven't got a chance. It's all corrupt. And the leaders are corrupt. And you don't want to make enemies of corrupt people, do you? unless you're Jesus, and he goes up to the money changers and he turns their stalls upside down. Coins everywhere, birds flying around, people shouting. Actually, it wasn't that much different to a normal day, except for Jesus shouting that the temple should be a house of prayer, but that they turned it into a den of thieves. I'm not sure what he was trying to do. The money changers just set up their stalls again and carried on. And it didn't start a riot, if that's what he wanted but it did make a point and the temple police paid attention to it. And that was it. Well, we had to kind of leave pretty quickly after that, but 
The next day. That's a Tuesday. Yeah, we, we went to another part of the temple and he got on his soapbox and he started preaching. He was recognised and some of the people like chief priests and scribes and temple police come up to him and there were crowds of other people there as well. Quite a lot of people listening to him and they asked him four questions. Most of them were just trick questions trying to catch him out. Whatever else you think about Jesus, you have to admit he isn't someone you want to argue with. Not because he humiliates you, but you just end up humiliating yourself. Okay, so what were the questions? Things like, by whose authority are you teaching these things? Whose authority do you have? Jesus doesn't have qualifications or letters after his name, but, but he did things. He did things. And those things that he did backed up what he said. His actions gave him authority. Then Jesus told them some stories, and you could tell that they were the ones under pressure, not Jesus. He asked them about his cousin, John, who baptised people. And he, and he said, was John's baptism from God or from man? So John had been baptising people, telling them to repent and come back to God. So the religious leaders were stumped by this, because if they said it was from man, then the crowd would just be against them straight away, because they believed he was from God. And if they said it was from God, then Jesus could just say to them, well, why didn't you believe in them? Why didn't you believe? They were trapped and they couldn't answer. They'd either be condemned by the people or by their own words. And then Jesus like thrusts in the knife with, with his story about wicked tenants in the vineyard. And when they hear that the owner of the vineyard's coming, they kill the messengers and end up killing the owner's son. They know he's talking about them. I know he's talking about them, but I don't think they realise he's talking about himself as well. Okay, anything else? Should we pay our taxes to Caesar? Jesus kind of says, well, what are you giving to God? He was going to lose whatever side he took there. You see, everybody really wants to fight in the battle between the temple and Rome, but Jesus doesn't even see that as a big deal. He's fighting the battle between the kingdom of wealth and the kingdom of God. It's a battle we're all in, really, whether we're rich or just want to be rich. Well, they all trick questions. There was one genuine question. What was the greatest commandment? He told them, love God, love others as yourself. And then he asked them a question. Why do they call the Messiah the son of David if David calls the Messiah my Lord? They couldn't answer. So he overturned the tables, he overturned the leadership, he overturned the theology. And then he predicted that the actual temple would be overturned as well, that the temple was going to be destroyed. That sounded like a threat. So we went out again and we left the temple area, left the city, and we saw the fig tree that Jesus cursed. It had died. Well, it would. And I suddenly made this link. The fig tree is kind of like... The temple. The temple was going to be destroyed, Jesus said, because it wasn't bearing any fruit. It was barren. It wasn't a house of God. It was a den of thieves and it was going to be destroyed. But it's, um, it's still there. Yeah. On, on Wednesday, we didn't go into the city. Jesus wanted to go and visit Simon the leper. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. It wasn't the kind of leprosy that you can catch just by being near him, you know. But 
still you're unclean if you go into the house of someone with these kind of skin diseases and in fact you're unclean before you even get all the way through the door how jesus was thought he was going to get back into the temple again being so unclean i don't know and then while we were there this woman came in and poured perfume all over jesus feet and then wiped it with her hair now women's hair should be covered it should be kept for the husband it's not out there for everyone to see and lust over. What was she trying to do? It's not like it was cheap either. But then Jesus tells me off for being worried about it. Honestly, it's like he sometimes doesn't even want friends. Judas went out and um, I found out later it was to go to the priests to sell some information. Well, what did he have to sell? I mean, everyone knows who Jesus is. Yeah, but... He knew where Jesus would be without crowds of people getting in the way, making it difficult to arrest him. I'll tell you what, I've got a lot of sympathy for Judas. Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah, but you always went in the wrong direction. A big noise going into the city and then nothing. Kicks off in the temple and then follows it up with no action. And then we're the ones getting it in the neck when a woman brings humiliation on us all. He keeps telling us we're not getting it. You're telling me. <laughs> Thursday, we went back into Jerusalem again and we went to a large upstairs room. Jesus had booked it for a meal together and, and he did it again. He turned everything that I thought was true upside down. He takes his clothes off to dress like a slave and washes our feet. And I'm like, don't even think about it. But he said, I can't follow him if I don't let him. And then he said that someone was going to betray him. He looked at us all, well, more like looks into us and it made me squirm even though I knew I'd never do that Judas left we assumed to hand out some money to the poor from our pot of money from Passover and it got late and we went out to Gethsemane so finally we get to where your crime took place down the steps out the dung gate and we see all the rubbish and waste and fires and everything it's a horrible place and across the valley, you see the, the tombs in the moonlight. It's just death everywhere. And away from the crowds, Jesus stopped. And he looked, looked into me again and said I was going to betray him three times. Well, wrong, obviously. But before I could convince him, the temple authorities arrive and Judas kisses Jesus. That was a bit embarrassing. People around here don't really go around kissing each other to say hello, but it was a thing that we did as followers of Jesus. And it took on a completely different meaning. It riled me to see Judas was the betrayer, not me. I was justified in being angry at Judas because it meant he was the betrayer, not me. Definitely not me. I don't know what I was trying to do, but I started waving my sword about and started towards Judas and the soldiers and... Anyway, there was a scuffle and I cut the ear off the hybrid slave trying to save Jesus. So you admit it. You cut his ear off and we've got the evidence. Well, you've got the ear and I do admit it. But here's the thing. That guy has got two ears. Jesus healed him. And then, of course, he goes and tells me off again. But I, I'm trying to protect Jesus, but he heals the slave and tells me off. Anyway... I'm not sure how you can convince anyone that I cut his ear off when he's gone.
Uh, you've got a point. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.